future is completely within our control. We're living through the single biggest culture shift of our time. This is the time for us to just really take charge. That's what revolutions do. They enable the impossible. Four years ago, Karen Millsap's husband was shot and killed in the gym they co-owned. What followed was a period of immense personal struggle, reflection, and ultimately, reinvention. She eventually started her own agency focused on helping businesses develop their own plans to responding to grief. Because the reality is, most companies never have a plan to address trauma until the unimaginable strikes. Today's conversation with Karen will help you ready your company to handle anything, even when life gets completely upended. I'm Megan Keeney Anderson, and this is The Growth Show. So maybe we could start off by having you tell me a little bit about what your company agency does. Sure. So my company agency is the agent to bring empathy to the workplace. And the reason I came up with that is because I experienced a personal tragedy. And when I reentered the workplace, I just recognized this disconnect. And as I dug deeper and I started on my entrepreneurial journey, I just recognized overall that we have workplaces that, I don't know, we're just how can I say we're dehumanized, I guess, (laughs) where we haven't allowed people to bring their full self to work, you know, whether it's in the midst of tragedy or just in the everyday. And so I wanted to create culture solutions that would really just give companies and their leadership and their entire organization permission to be human and give them a little structure around that so they knew how to navigate professionally, but also personally. So what is it about businesses that, that make them dehumanize? Why do you think there is that gap there? Well, we know the old adage, right? Leave your personal stuff at the door or mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's business, it's not personal. And, and so I think it's those kind of um, remarks. It's very industrial age. <laughs> and so we think we're, uh, you know, we're just having people who come in and they're performing their tasks and they're just driven by their tasks. Well, they're really not. Even if they are in just, we'll say, a data entry position, there's knowledge behind that. There's um, there's human emotion behind that. You know, there's decision making behind that. And so you really have to be your, your full self in order to operate at your fullest potential. And so I think that what we've done is we've just gotten so driven by numbers with business right. that we forget there are people behind the numbers. And we're only looking at the tasks that get us to that success instead of the people who are operating the tasks and what they need to be successful. And so you've discovered in your own life, obviously, that that leaving kind of your quote unquote personal baggage or your personal your life uh, at the door doesn't really work. Can you take me back, if you don't mind, to where this journey all began for you and, and what gave you that realization about how businesses operate today? Absolutely. Well, I will admit I was completely naive. I was in HR and I was naive <laughs> to this until I experienced my own tragedy. Um, my husband uh, died at a very young age. Um, he died suddenly. He was actually killed. And mm-hmm. so um, when he died, I just, my world was rocked. I mean, I, there's yeah. no other way to say it. One thing that a lot of people miss is when you experience a life event, it creates a ripple effect and it impacts the in, the rest of your life in so many different ways. So being in HR, when I was transitioning back, 
I don't know. I think I just expected I would be able to handle it or I would be able to get through the days. Right. And it was physically impossible. And I thought I was going crazy. So then I thought, okay, well, he died suddenly and and traumatically. So maybe my grief is tied to the way that he died. Well, then I found as I was, you know, looking for support groups and hospice or widows groups or what have you, after hearing other people's journeys, even if they had time to prepare for their spouse's death, they were still grieving the absence of that person. Because the truth is grief creates physical and psychological side effects that are impossible to shake. And then even beyond that, Megan, my sister was actually going through a divorce around the same time that my oh, husband died support network. and I saw the similarities in our emotional distress. Yeah. So really my mind just became even more open to what are we carrying and what are we maybe not even discussing at work, but you know, it's still living in our heart and we're suppressing it. We're suppressing it because we have to operate. <laughs> and so I then became a certified grief recovery specialist and it was, it was that training and it was that experience with others other professionals that, again, just opened my mind up way beyond grief coming as a result of a death, but grief coming as a result of job loss or children moving out, right? Empty yeah. nest syndrome is real. Yeah, <laughs> I have a girlfriend who's going through that right now. So, so it all began with my personal tragedy, but I'm very thankful that my mind and my heart was open to looking at the world around me. And I think it was because grief just gave me a different lens on life. And so as I became more receptive and really even more inquisitive about what was going on and why are we suppressing these emotions, it helped me in my healing journey, but then it just became such a driving purpose to create this shift in the workplace. What is kind of standard operating procedure with businesses when it comes to grief? I mean, most people don't have to think about that until they go through it. What offices typically offer? So unfortunately, um, the, the average is three to five business days when you experience bereavement, right? And it's usually in the policy that it's an immediate family member. Now, here's the sad part that if you think that it can't get any sadder, <laughs> um, only one state in our country mandates that employers have a bereavement policy. Wow. So really, we're just kind of relying on the kindness of our boss that they're going to, you know, give us that time. I've heard so many widows who said after three days that they were told if they didn't come in, they would lose their job. And let me tell you from experience, you can't even plan a funeral or handle the rest of life's responsibilities that are tied to a death in three to five days. Right. It's impossible. Um, but here's a, a great point that I like to point out to employers. This policy, it's very strict. And I really encourage people to find that flexibility in their policies because they say immediate family member. But what if you had an aunt who wasn't your mom technically, but she raised you? And she was very active in your life and you lost her and they gave you no time off, not even time to go to the funeral. Yeah. How horrible would that be to think that you couldn't even have that that moment of closure with somebody who was like your parent or consider this. There are about 500,000 miscarriages per year in the United States, and those are not documented as deaths. However, people still have to come to work after experiencing trauma like that. And even in many cases, they wouldn't have even have told their companies yet that they were pregnant or, you know, they're going exactly. through this entirely on their own. 
Exactly, exactly. So there are so many different levels to this. And unfortunately, you know, policies are not going to be able to, um, to address all scenarios. And that's why we have to be human at work. And we have to allow our leaders to be human at work. Because if we act with empathy, then it doesn't matter what that policy says, we're going to try to alleviate suffering for that person. And that may mean 20 days off, right? Yeah. That may mean three months off. For me, I was so fortunate that I had a uh, a supervisor who is very compassionate and it was because he had a near-death experience with his wife and so the way he responded to me was because he was able to relate to that kind of suffering and so he actually put together a campaign where I was able to have off six weeks people in my company donated time off and I had a six-week transition time which I'll tell you with a little one was so necessary and I was very very grateful for that so I mean it seems like a very imprecise thing you're trying to measure the grief of all sorts of different people. Why do you think this hasn't changed and, and what can we do about it? So I think it's twofold. I think one, we don't know what to do. And two, I think people feel uncomfortable in the professional environment showing that kind of emotion or connectivity. And so what I tell people when I'm training them is I say, Everything that I teach you in this session or in our program, it is not rocket science. It is not new to you. As a matter of fact, you already use these in your personal relationships, right? With right. family and with friends. What we're going to do is give you permission to bring those emotions to work. And so that's really where the conversation has to start, right? Yeah. My immediate gut reaction is, you know, do you think grief is looked at as weakness in the workplace? Yes. I mean, it, it, there's a combination of things, but if we're creating a psychologically safe environment where people know that their colleagues and that their uh, supervisor or, you know, just that their team, that they're going to support them, then they can bring that to work. But mm -hmm. we have this shame that's tied to grief. And listen, I experience it also, even with my immediate family, I wouldn't tell them all of the emotions that I was feeling because I felt like I would be a burden to them. Yeah. And I didn't want to add to their grief or with my friends, I didn't want it to feel awkward, right? I didn't want them to feel um, like uh, they had to talk about my husband's death, but really, I needed to. And so there were people in my life that were very significant in helping me open up. And what I recognized in this relationship was, for example, my brother-in-law, he said, Karen, I don't know how to address this with you, but I just want to be there for you. Yeah. That was so imperfectly perfect. <laughs> he said, I don't know what to do. And I think if we start there at leaders and colleagues, we say, sometimes I don't know what to do, but I just want you to know I'm here. Again, it's simple. It's not rocket science, but that's enough for the person to feel comfortable and to not feel shame tied to their complex emotions. I think so many people, so many supporters go through that. So what did you tell your brother-in-law at that point? Well, I told him first, I told him, I said, I didn't even realize that I was making this as awkward and hard to talk about as, as he just explained. And, um, and so I said, well, what would you like to know? And so he just started asking me questions, you know, like, are you okay? And do you think about him often? And how does it impact uh, you parenting your son? And we yeah. just started talking about life. When I lost my husband, I lost my best friend right? The person right. who you share everything with. And so I, I had to realize that it's okay to still share all of who I am with the people around me. But it wasn't until I heard that permission verbally from my brother-in-law that I started to unload, man, it's hard being a single parent. And my son is wonderful, but I really, you know, sometimes I just feel overwhelmed with everything I have to do. And let me tell you, I tell grievers this when I do uh, my coaching, 
I say when you share these emotions or when you cry or when you just when you release energy in any shape or form, it's almost like wringing out a washcloth. Yeah. When you have a washcloth that's soaking wet, it's very heavy, right? But as soon as you wring it out, it just feels so much lighter. And that's what happens when we give voice to our emotions, when we allow ourselves to cry, and when we allow ourselves to connect with other people through our struggles. We take the fear away. And instead of feeling gripped or in its grasp, we're just starting to move away from that and really lighten our load so we can have a healthy healing journey. And that actually goes back to your earlier point about how this is both a mental and a physical experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. Did you feel like there was a timer on your grief? Like you had to get through it by a certain time in order to carry on with your life? (laughs) I was hoping I would get through it at a certain time so I could carry on with my life. Um, You know, honestly, people say uh, there's so many myths about grief and one of them is time heals. And that's not true. Time does nothing without healthy action. And so people will say, oh, you know, the first year is going to be really hard. But after that, the fog will lift. We just don't know. And we don't we can't do better until we know better. So they would say things, but they would say, you'll be okay after six months or 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 when you find love again. Yeah. Anything like that. Right. And so the truth is that if you here's a great example. If you broke your arm, would you sit there and wait for time to heal it? No, no. (laughs) You would say, okay, I have to go to the doctor. I have to maybe get a cast or screws in there. You know, you have to do something for that healing to jumpstart and for it to heal. Now you could sit there and wait, but it would get infected and it would be really, really messy. And you do need that time, but you need it to be active time. You need it to be time spent working through it. You have to take healthy action. And the healthy action is, yes, we have to do that. And and so it's great if you get connected with a counselor or a coach or other people, support groups who have been through that. That's awesome. Yeah. But, but when we're talking about in the workspace... A lot of people derive their well-being and their their value from what they do at work. So if we're expected to cut that off when we get to work, then we're not we're delaying our healing process and we're not allowing people to go through the motions so we can really expedite the healing. The more we suppress, it's just it's a temporary distraction. Whatever that is, it's a temporary yeah. distraction and we're not facing it. So that reminds me that brings me back to another what I would imagine is another myth about grieving. So we know that, you know, Time heals all wounds, myth number one. But what about this idea of people who say they want to throw themselves back into their work in order to get through a grieving process? Exactly. And that's another myth that I like to debunk is that, you know, staying busy, again, it's a temporary distraction. As a matter of fact, I've worked with people who, um, you know, have said, man, I was was so consumed with work or I threw myself into work. and, And sometimes they don't even realize it. And here's a great example. I did a workshop and there was an engineer from NASA in the room. And he came up to me afterwards and he said, Karen, I didn't know what it was, but you just you just gave me an aha moment. He said when there was, and I can't remember, I apologize, but I cannot remember which explosion he said it was, but there was a space shuttle that exploded. Right. And um, his team was the team that would have to go over and gather all of the parts, the parts from the spaceship and oh, human wow. parts also, right? So yeah. his team was sent over to um, Texas, Louisiana area 
as soon as this happened. And so he said immediately people were reaching out like, I'm so sorry, I can't believe this happened, you know, just kind of uh, showing the, the sympathy or the empathy. And he said, I was so detached. I didn't realize it because when we got there, we had a task to do. And when obviously being an engineer and, and having that meticulous work, I mean, he had to dive in. He had to focus on what he was doing. They were on site for six months gathering all of these different parts and, and pieces and he said, it wasn't until six months later when I got home that I felt the weight of the emotion and my grief hit me. He said, and I didn't know why until you just explained that I delayed my grief by staying busy. Yeah. Now, in that case, he had to go, right? But there could have been some moments or some, some I say, moments of impact while they were out there where they gave them the safe space to talk and work through what they were doing and how this impacted them. I mean, this was their crew. <laughs> this was people who they knew, and this was a job that they were very connected to emotionally, and they had to suppress it until they were finished. Do you ever encounter people who just come back to work with kind of an apathy to the work that they did before because this grief, this trauma has changed their perspective and they have a hard time getting reinvested? Absolutely. From personal experience, what happens is you are trying to process emotions that you haven't felt before. A lot of times your grief is compounded by other life events that um, may have been triggered or, you know, again, may have been impacted like through this domino effect. So your mind is on overload on what has happened to you and what's happening, what's currently happening on the inside. So in a sense, you become disconnected with what's happening around you. Now, there are ways that you can channel your grief in really healthy ways and you can still stay connected to work. But again, this is why employers need to give more than just three to five days because right. we're still working through what has happened to us, this change in our life. And especially if it comes suddenly, if this is a curveball, and it, listen, it could be finding out that you have cancer yeah. or a loved one has cancer. Whatever that experience is, is going to impact people differently. And so we have to be more receptive and in tune, you know, using that emotional intelligence, being self-aware and then also socially aware on how we can respond to that person. Sometimes if they're very disconnected and apathetic, um, you know, maybe there's a temporary shift in their workload or even their schedule. So if we can respond to them better, then they're not going to feel as disconnected. And then here's the other part that happens. You feel like you start to lose your confidence if you're not performing how you used to. Right, exactly. <laughs> and that's why I say this is a ripple effect, right? Yeah. This is a big picture. But when you lose your confidence, then it starts to eat away at how you're performing. And then you you can't put out the same performance measurements or and you're not producing the same productivity. Again, if supervisors and colleagues and organizations were more aware of what people were going through, if they adjusted what they needed this person to perform, then they would still be able to meet performance standards while rebuilding their confidence. And right. that's how you create a supportive system. So that's fascinating to me because just as life throws individuals curveballs, when somebody is going through this, oftentimes that's the first time that company has encountered it. What should yes. people do today, even if they haven't encountered this at all yet in the workplace? This is such a great question. And thank you for asking that. This is where I'll tell you as a, as a business owner, and I was creating this solution, you always have to be flexible, right? You can have a goal, you can have a purpose, you have to be flexible. So when I started to create this solution, I was just talking about grief. I was just talking about emotionally delicate situations. What I found through my studies and through positive psychology is that if we're creating compassionate organizations, then on a day-to-day 
day-to-day basis, you are having this exchange of compassion and empathy. It could be, you know, as you're uh, working through a problem, it could be as you are going through a change in the organization. But if this is ingrained in your culture, then what happens is when tragedy and life's inevitable hardships show their face, you are already, you've already practiced and you have already uh, mastered how you should respond because it's built into your culture and your relationships already. Yeah. uh, Sheryl Sandberg talks a lot about that. She wrote that uh, compassionate work, it shouldn't be this luxury. We certainly have to have the policies to give people time off, but you also shouldn't have to just question or rely on the kindness of your bosses. You should know that that's going to be there. You should have experienced that ahead of time. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of research that supports this. As, as a matter of fact, the University of Michigan has a Center for Positive Organizations. And um, Dr. Jane Dutton has a, a lot of great research that supports this. And so, again, being num- numbers driven and you're thinking about the success of your business and the sustainability, you miss that there are people behind this. Richard Branson had this quote where he said, when you take care of your employees, your employees take care of your business. And right. I'm telling you, all of the research supports that wonderful quote. <laughs> <laughs> How important is it to document this out and to to make it evident for people, uh, even again, even if they're not going through grief? Crucial. It's crucial. Um, One thing that I do, for example, in our workshops is we create a compassion action plan. And a lot of times employers will create like a crisis management plan. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like if something crazy happens and they know how to communicate, they know what to do, they know but they don't have anything uh, when it comes to compassion. And so what I what I say is it's always important to be prepared, but it's really, it's most important to just live it. You have to live this because that's the best preparation you'll ever have when a tragedy occurs. We've talked a lot about um, tragedies that occur kind of at the individual contributor level or, or maybe a, a middle manager. What happens when the CEO or someone from the executive team goes through a tragedy? I think probably the most recent example of this is um, Travis uh, Kalanick from Uber lost his mother, ended up stepping down. Of course, there was some other stuff going on there as well. But how should businesses handle it when someone who is very, very visual and kind of a cornerstone goes through a, a period of trauma? You know, really the gr- the best example is the Sheryl Sandberg situation. Sure. Right? So when she lost her husband, she also wrote about this in her book. And listen, I finished her book in one day. <laughs> so I loved it. I was so happy she was giving a voice to this experience. But she did talk a lot about how Mark Zuckerberg re- responded to her. And one of the best um, quotes that I loved from her book is when she felt like she had to have it all together and it was in a board meeting, I think it was, or... Um, and so she she must have broken down either before or right after. But Mark's response to her was, you're human and we don't expect you to have it together all the time. Mm-hmm. The CEO is the same as a janitor. We're human. We are all human. Everybody in the organization, unless you have a really cool, funky organization, you have some AI yeah. <laughs> that's working. But we are all the same. We are human. And so the way that we should respond, especially when it's somebody who's in leadership, is certainly giving them that time, but really having uh, clear communication within the team on how we're going to kind of act as a buffer for that person. Um, I can tell you from from being a high performer and you know being a business owner myself, I, 
even when I don't want to, I'm thinking about work, right? right? And so that's just very natural. And I think for anybody, whether you're a CEO or you're an organization, um, you just feel really connected to your work. But so what you have to do is ask them what they need and then be or give a buffer for them to not receive everything. An example would be, you know, if somebody is responsible for, we'll say it's somebody in your C-suite, if they're responsible for a certain area of business, you have to have one of their counterparts or one of their managers who can get all of the information and then decide what gets to the leader while they are away and healing themselves, right? Yeah. And that's how you empower people. You know, you have to shift some of the responsibilities and offer that flexibility, even if they want to stay in grain. But having this example of having somebody step down and still being able to um, let them feel like they are a part and, and giving them the space to heal, but not isolating them so they feel incompetent, right? right. Because grief, it does not debilitate us. But if you have that buffer and if you have that flexibility, then you're still inclusive, but you're still giving them that time to heal. You can't address grief as this as it happens. It has to be right. this holistic approach that you take to being an empathetic organization every day, whether there's grief there or not. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I'll tell you that my grief has absolutely changed my lens on life. And I've noticed that it was a great opportunity for me to grow and become a better version of myself. Now, I say that with a heavy heart because I would never, if I could bring my husband back, I absolutely would. Right, you'd give but that lens back. Cha- yeah, right. But we cannot change what has happened to us. We can only choose how it impacts us. Yeah. Now, our responsibilities as organizations, it's not just about the product or the service that we're putting out, but it's the people who serve our organization and how we impact their lives. And if they're not allowed to bring their full self to work, then we are not the one to employ them. It is so important that we are open-minded that life is going to happen. Hardships are going to occur. There's nothing I could have done to prevent what happened to my husband or or my father who has an ailment, right? Or my friend who has infertility issues. Like all of this stuff, all of these things that we go through, this is life. And so as organizations, it is our social responsibility to allow people to share their suffering and to help alleviate that so that they can continue to just become the best version of themselves. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Um, so Karen, I, I am curious, sometimes you don't come across grief on individual basis. Sometimes a large portion of your organization will go through a grief process, whether, um, you know, there could be a tragedy that affects a whole section of the company or the entire company. How do you deal with grief at a larger scale and prepare for that kind of a situation? Absolutely. So um, I actually just did a workshop with a golf club uh, community and they had one of their staff members, young kid who was actually shot and killed um, in a robbery situation. And so not only did this impact their small community because they were made up of members and so members know all the staff. And so it's not just the people who work there, but it's the people who, um, you know, would come and golf there. And he also had a sister who worked on staff. So when I got the call and they asked me to come in and do the workshop, I'm telling you everybody from the top executive all the way down to the people who were working in the kitchen wanted to know, what do we do? How do we respond? So before I got in there to do the workshop, there were some things that I told them just initially to be mindful of and open-minded about. One is how do you respond to the family? Mm-hmm. And I do think that that's a resp- another responsibility of the employer. That doesn't mean that you always have to... Um, 
you know, financially support them. But in this case, they did. They put together a donation fund and they donated this money to the family so that they could have, um, you know, a proper funeral. They This kid was 17. Yeah. He didn't have life insurance or anything, you know, that was set up and or that they were prepared to handle this. So, so they had donations that they offered this family. But if you're not, if you want to think beyond that, there are other things that you can do. You can just reach out to the spouse, for example, if this is a, an older person who's married or the family and the HR person should say, here are their benefits and here's the contact and be proactive in helping them get through some of those yucky, messy responsibilities that may even slip our mind, right? As we're experiencing that. Um, You also need to think about the communication plan. So in in this scenario, uh, the young man didn't have any outside clients or anything, but there are a lot of organizations where when you have clients, a client database, you need to communicate to them that this person is no longer there. And so how do you do that? Um, You know, you have to think about reaching out to the clients and then also honoring that person's life within the organization. And how do you do that? You know, you could plant a tree or you could have a day and a moment of silence and just acknowledging that person and sending out the email communication. This is why we're doing this. But let me tell you, Megan, it's not just about death. Again, if something happens within the organization, you can let the organization know so they can put their arms around that person. But then you also have to be mindful. So if this person um, has died, or if there's maybe an illness or an injury and they're just not there, what happens is their workload shifts to the team, right? Right. And so you need to have, um, it depends on the scenario. So I'm kind of speaking in broad strokes here, but you have to either have like a, a trauma team that can come in if there's something that has happened in the workplace or maybe the person died violently or suddenly because there were other lives that were impacted, you know, work friends and work family. So you want to make sure that you bring uh, counselors or therapists or coaches in. But you also, if this person is temporarily out, but it's still impacting the business, then you have to be inclusive of the people who are picking up that person's work. Show your appreciation to them. Because when they see that our entire company, we're putting our arms around this person, that makes them feel um, more connected Part to of the something company. Bigger, yep. Yes, yes. They feel connected to the values that are now being shown through the actions of how the company responds. And I imagine they can see that that would be there for them. And that would be something that this is a company that takes care of its own. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So, Karen, my, my final question for you is, you know, it's been four years since you lost your husband and started this journey What role does grief play in how you operate personally, professionally today? Well, one thing that I've learned is that we never stop grieving. We just learn how to manage it differently in our life. And so I've always just kind of felt, I don't know, like I knew that I was going to be in a position to serve people or help people. You know, initially I thought that was recruiting (laughs) and staffing. I just thought I was going to help people in their job. But now that I've experienced this life event, I really want to motivate people to not just think about their own healing, but think about how important it is to share our journeys with one another so that we can be a source of hope or a source of strength to somebody in their time of need. So I'm so thankful and grateful that I don't just have the opportunity to do that personally, but I can do that in my professional space and and with the impact I'm trying to make with this business. And what I've found is that the more I talk about it, the more people are on board. Right. (laughs) 
I get an amen or a high five or, you know, some sort of just like a head nod, I always see this light go off when people just recognize, man, I don't have to be ashamed of my suffering and I can use my suffering to help serve other people. And that's what this journey is about. It is an incredibly complex and rich area and it's so often left untapped. So I'm so glad that that you and agency are, are taking it on. Yes. No, thank you. I'm so happy that you guys are bringing light to this. <laughs> Obviously, it warms my heart. <laughs> hey, you're still here. Good on you. Thanks for sticking around. I have one last real quick ask. If you like the show, it would mean a whole lot if you left a review over in the iTunes store. I know, I know, it sounds played out, but it actually helps people find the show. And it makes my mom proud. So thank you in advance. Oh, and hi, mom. <laughs> <laughs>